0: Amen. Good morning, church. I'd like to have a quick announcement before we get started this morning. Um, I want you to mark the calendar down to all of you who have kids or grandkids or know some uh, kids in the family that might be interested on March the 4th. Did I I get that right? For March the 4th, uh, we're going to have Eastside Church of Christ's very first Nerf Gun War. How does that sound? Now, adults, that does not mean that we're going to leave you well, out. If you have your Nerf Gun at home, we know you do. There's one there somewhere. You <laughs> can bring yours and <laughs> let uh, uh, you the adults play around with it too. But March 4th, March 4th, Saturday March 4th, we're going to have a Nerf Gun, Gun War up here at the MVB Building. So if you got, got family, it. friends. Uh, friends, if you want to bring your friends, you can do that as well. Also, too, um, the WICO family, I'm going to, to make this quick announcement. You see these flowers up front? There are several. Uh, they have many, many flowers they have received. There's a few more over there on the table. Um, they, if, if anyone would like to have some of the flowers that are not the green ones, I think those are the kind. But just, just to the regular hours, if you might like take those home, or if you know, know ministry is a ministry that was in there, or be blessed to have all those arrangements to the family that said that you can take those home home with you So they have absolutely. Okay? So, all right, before we get started, I have something that I want to, I want to show you. Do you consider yourself a Christian? I do. Oh, yes, I am. Uh, Yes. Yes, yeah. yes sir. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes. I was, was raised in a bridge that day. Do you you're going to have them? Oh, I don't know. That sounds great. I don't know. Do you believe that you're going to have them? Um, I, I can't, can't say so. if I am or I'm not. I'd like to think so. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. Well, I'm hoping for that, yes. Hopefully. hopefully. Um, yeah, I don't know. I believe that there are steps, though, to get there. To you contribute anything to your going Yeah, yeah, I try to make sure at least, uh, I try to make sure that makes some kind of impact on someone every day. How would you if I were to tell you that your salvation doesn't depend upon your works, it depends on what Christ has already done? Well, I can agree with that, but it also depends on how you live your life and you, you follow what God's guidelines are. Do you think the Bible is God's work? Yeah, yes. Yes, absolutely I do. I believe that there's some aspects of the Bible that are um, aligned with God's Word and other um, sacred literature as well. Do you think that the Word actually exists in the Bible? Well, I think if part of the Bible is wrong, I'll go back to it. People transcribe it back for all the decades and what I can see that happen. I think everything could possibly be a mistake. It's what you believe and your faith. I haven't taught me yet. There are a lot of, you know, sacred texts and literatures um, and for all different religions because I'm kind of fascinated with that and I don't consider myself to be in one particular religion. Um, so I just think if you really read them in a roundabout way, they're all saying the same thing. Um, How often do you attend the church? Every week. Two so times, times a month, a couple of times, times a month. Times. Three or two Sundays a month? About two or three, three times a month. Do you live the church in the church? No, Um, because I believe that we're all really one church and that I'm even a member of any specific organization. Do you believe the man is basically good in nature? Yes. Yes, I do. I think we can be. Well, I'd like, like to, to say that. You know, by nature, we are supposedly in the Bible. You will all be good until, you know, some people got up. We have the opportunity to be good. It's not good and great. We are created by, by God, God, and we as humans are goddess. There are evil and good, you know, and um, we just have to get all along the right path. So I truly believe that if man was left to himself and things would happen So, this video that was put out by the of Ministries was part of a study that was done by them just last year in 2022. It was part of a study called the State of Theology Survey. And basically what they did, the stated purpose of the survey, and I'm just going to read from their website, the stated purpose of the survey was to take to the theological temperature of the United States to help Christians better understand today's culture and to equip the church with better insights for discipleship. Now what they did is they, they interviewed several thousand Christians. They wanted to make sure that they identified or, or, or found people that identified with the Christian faith and said that they were followers of Jesus Christ. And I, by the way, I don't think a lot of people Yeah, it's time to today. fix it. Thank you very much. And what they discovered when they looked at this data from the research was, in my view, a little bit shocking. Again, they interviewed over 3,000 Christians, and here's just a little bit of what they found. Out of over 3,000 Christians interviewed... Almost three out of four, 73%, agree with the claim that Jesus is the first and greatest being that was created by God. Did you hear what I said? Created by God. 73% of persons interviewed believe that Jesus is created. More than half, 58%, believe that God accepts all forms of religion, including Christianity, Judaism, and as well as Islam. 58%. More than half of the Christians that were interviewed, 56%, agree that worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for regularly attending church services. It doesn't matter if you go to a church service or not, as long as you are Christian. Again, more than half believe that. Um, here's a few more uh, statistics came on study. More than half, 55%, believe that the Spirit is a force not a personal being. Think of a Star Wars. And you know, of the course we would right? That kind of idea.
1: More than half
0: if three percent disagree with the claim that even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. In other words, it's kind of said that in the negative, when you say it in the positive, uh, little sins aren't that big of a deal. Sending so a hell absolutely not, but I would never do anything along those lines. Some sins are big, some sins are small. Again, that's the idea. Almost half that were interviewed, 44%, saying that Jesus was a great teacher, but they agree with Islam, because Islam does not believe he's the Son of God. They believe that he was a great teacher, but not the Son of God. More, almost half, excuse me, almost half of Christians that were interviewed said Jesus was a good, moral teacher, but not the Son of God. Now, somebody asked me last week, Dan, why are we doing a series like this? I mean, you're not a preacher to the choir here, in terms of Christ I don't have choirs, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, you're not a preacher to the choir here. We all know that the Bible is true. We already believe that the Bible is true. Well, it's a good question. And my answer to that question is, based upon the statistics that I shared with you last Sunday, that among today's American pastors, Christian teachers, only 37% possess what we call a biblical worldview. That means 62% of men and women in some churches that are standing up in front of the pulpit, only a few, a fraction of those, have what we would call a biblical worldview. In other words, they think like the Bible in multiple areas of life, not very many. And if you look at the study that was done here with the Christians across America, the same thing is true. In almost every question that was asked, nearly half, For more than half of all Christians do not possess a biblical worldview. Now there's a lot of people that will say, well, I believe the Bible is true. And there's a lot of people that agree that the Bible is full of good things and it's got some moral truths to to teach us. And, and, And the thing is that that's true, that the Bible is true. But I think to me, there is a difference in saying that the Bible is true and say that I believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. There's a difference between the two. Somebody can say, well, I I agree with the Bible. I think it's true. But here's the thing. Unless you believe that the Bible is the authoritative Word of God, that they were spoken by God himself, then I promise you, you won't believe the Bible has any right to tell you what to do with your life unless you truly believe that they are from the Word. That's why last week we started asking the question, does the Bible claim to be inspired? Because if the Bible does not claim to be inspired, then it doesn't even matter. What, it doesn't even matter really being here. It doesn't matter if you attend church services or not. Because ultimately it's just a book you're going to borrow from and take a little bit about what might last your life. You can believe some of it if you want. You can believe none of it if you want. If the Bible is not inspired, then it's the a book that you can just kind of lean out whatever it is that you're looking for. But if the Bible claims to be inspired... If it, it says of itself that this is the word of God, then that means that this book is going to have a claim on your life. It means that you're going to have to look at some things, you're going to have to do some self-introspection, you're going to have to look at the scriptures because it is going to require you to evaluate yourself based upon its teachings. Now, last Sunday I just started asking the question. We just did a quick survey. We looked at two passages. But I want to really ask the question and, 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 and get to the very end of this. What does the Bible have to say for itself? Does the Bible claim itself to be the inner of God? I want you take your Bible, go to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2 this morning. They can be written. Hebrews 1 a little bit earlier, I'm, I realize. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. We're going to read this together. It says, in the past, this is in the past from. This writer's perspective, right? All over it from the first century. And the past, what we call the Old Testament. God spoke to our ancestors, to the prophets, at many times, and in very, many, various ways. Now stop right there for a second. He spoke when in the past. What are we talking about? The Old Testament, God spoke. How did He do it? Well, let's go back. If you take the Old Testament, You think about the ways in which the Old Testament is organized. It's organized between uh, three sections, if you will: the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings. The Law comprises of what we call the first five books of Moses, the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The Prophets in the middle, which is the Naviim. You can see several of the prophetic books that are listed there: 2 Kings, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Those are listed in the Prophets section of the Old Testament, and then you have what's called the Ketuvim. Which are the writings? This is where you're going to find the wisdom literature. This is where you're going to find the Old Testament Psalm book, known as the Psalms. So the Psalms and the Proverbs and Job, Ruth and so forth It's going to be in the but Let's think about how the Bible organizes itself with really Let's think about the law, of the first category. In the book of Genesis, you have God doing what? From the very beginning, first verse 1, chapter 1, you have God speaking. He says, in the beginning, let there be light. He's spoken into existence. And in fact, when you go through and you read Genesis chapter 1, ten times in Genesis chapter 1, God uses the phrase, and God said, and God said. And so right at the very outset, just as you open the first couple of pages of your Bible, you are inundated with this language of God speaking, God revealing, God sharing things. In Genesis, God speaks to Adam in the garden. He talks to Eve. He speaks to the serpent. He talks to Cain. Later on, he talks to Noah. He talks to Abraham. Uh, he tells him to leave the war. He goes to the land of Canaan. if you remember that. Later on, Abraham, Isaac. He speaks to Isaac. He has Jacob. He speaks to Jacob. Jacob has his 12 sons. Joseph gets sold into slavery. When he's 17 years old, guess what? God speaks to Joseph. All the way to the very end of the book of Genesis, over and over again, page after page, story after story, there is a ton a communication that God is doing with his people. You go out of Genesis, you walk over into Exodus, and what do you see? You've got God speaking. This time from uh, a burning bush. You've got God speaking through Moses and Aaron as he tells them to go to Pharaoh to let the people go. Later on, when we get the people out of Egypt to go to Mount Sinai. And what do you see? Again, God speaking from the thunder and from the lightning on the top of Mount Sinai. Over and over again. We can go up to the book of Exodus where you have the phrase, I am the Lord, 51 times. Leviticus is one of your favorite books, I'm sure. It has a lot of laws in it. Over and over again, it has a section of laws, and it says, "When you live in the land, when you finally go into the land, here's how you're going to live. Here's how you're not going to live." And guess how he starts? every section of scripture. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I think there was an old movie a long time ago, "The Gold runner. Remember the the ten commandments movie, "The Gold runner Charles Hanson let it be written so let it be done right is the idea that's exactly what it has here I am the Lord 51 times and then we can keep going we can talk about the book of numbers in the, the very first words of the book of numbers in Numbers chapter 1 verse 1 it says this the Lord spoke to Moses in the 10th of the meeting or 10th of the meeting in the desert of Sinai God so telling you from very am the All of this is about God communicating with his people. All of this is advancing his story forward. We can talk about the book of Deuteronomy. You've got this phrase that's all throughout the book of Deuteronomy. The Lord your God Or something equivalent to that. The Lord your God has it in the book of Deuteronomy alone 300 times. It talks about the Lord's commands or the Lord's commandments 123 times, and it says here the words of the Lord, or something equivalent to that, 70 something times. Now I want you to notice, all throughout the Bible to Moses, to the Torah, we are being inundated with verse after verse, making the claim that these writings are special. These writings are not the common writings of a man. These are not the writings of just a lawgiver. These are the very words of God. Look what you notice what it says in Exodus chapter 24, verse 4 here. Moses said, wrote down everything that the Lord has said. (coughs) Exodus chapter 34, verse 27. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write down these words, for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. That's just the Torah. That's just Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. What is the Torah telling you? as far as the Bible is, is, is the case, as far as it claims, it is clear that the Bible claims that it is communication from God to His people, all throughout the Torah, verse by verse, all throughout the first five of you see it. Now we can move on. Let's talk about this middle section for a moment, the prophets in the prophets, we've got one particular phrase, there are others, but there's this one phrase, kol amar adonai. Kol amar adonai, thus saith the Lord, for like the old King James, thus saith the Lord, right? How many times do you see that phrase, kol amar adonai? Over 2,000 times in the prophets. And in other words, if you sit down with those prophetic books... And you start just scrolling through the pages of the prophets, almost every page you're gonna have at least twice on every page called Maradine. Thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord. I think you get indication. Let's move on. Let's talk about the third section of the Old Testament, the kept, the, kept the writings. We can go on, we can look at examples here from the Psalms or from the Wisdom literature of Solomon from the history books. I think about just Solomon, for example. Let uh, me go back here and see a little bit. I Okay. Think about the, the wisdom books of Rome. Think about the writing of Solomon. What did he write? He wrote Proverbs, he wrote Ecclesiastes, and he wrote Solomon Song of Solomon. Now, you guys all know the story about where Solomon is his wisdom. Remember that? God basically said, I'll give you whatever you want. to Say a prayer, and whatever you ask for. What did he ask for? Wisdom. He asked for wisdom. He said, If you put me in this place of the king, I want to know how to rightly do it. I need to have wisdom. Well, think about that. What does that tell you about his prophetic works or his wisdom literature? It claims to not be from Solomon. It claims to be from the Father. Or we can talk about the, the writings of David, all the Psalms that we talk about. Think about David for a second. David is considered an inspired Why? because not only is he a king in the Old Testament, he also talks about as a prophet. So all of his writings are prophetic writings. They are considered to be words from God. Now, I'm going to go on, but I think you understand the bigger picture. Now, let us hop the bridge. Let's cross over to the New Testament for a moment we looked at the claims of the Old Testament, 66 books of the Old Testament. How many books of the New Testament? 27. When we get into the books of the New Testament, guess what? You see the same thing. Over and over again, on every page of Scripture, it claims to be from the Lord that these are not words that are just mere man. Go with me back to Hebrews for a moment. Look at the second part of the verse. In the past, in the Old Testament, God spoke to our ancestors, to the prophets in many times and in various ways. We just looked at that. Verse 2, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So now you have this added element here in the book of Hebrews. And he says in the Old Testament, God spoke in all kinds of ways. But in these last days, God has spoken to us in the person of his son, Jesus So, for the New Testament, if we're starting to talk about the claims of inspiration in the Bible, then we of course have to begin with who? We have to begin with Jesus. I want you to look at this source here John chapter 12, verse 49. This is Jesus talking. Right here, you remind me of this, I think last Sunday we were talking about this. Look at Jesus' own claims. Now we're getting into the Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Look what he says. I did not speak of my own. But the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. He says the same thing over in John chapter seven, verse sixteen. He says, "My teaching is not my own; it comes from the one who sent me." Who is James? Or excuse me. Who is Jesus claim to be speaking from? Himself or from God? Okay. Over and over again, claims to speak from God. And I want you to know that notice this: when you turn to the pages of the New Testament. In the Gospels, we have uh, passages like this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, where Jesus says, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a game, will by any means disappear from all until everything is accomplished. Now, what's Jesus talking about? He's talking about the Old Testament, right? He's talking about... Uh, the Torah. Now, he's not just talking about the Torah. I don't think he's just talking about the Torah. He says it won't pass from the law. That's Torah, right? By But he says until what? Until all is accomplished or fulfilled. He's referring to the prophets there. Yeah? See, a lot of times you would just say Torah, but that became a catch-all term for the whole thing, what we call Old Testament. But I don't want you to notice here a question that very few people ask when they talk about the inspiration of the Bible. And I used to have a hard time with this. I did when I was in seminary, when I was at the University. of had a hard time with this. When I would get into documentary hypothesis, and we would get into did Moses actually write the first five books? And was it J? Was it E? Was it D? P? And all this, you know, know, And you have modern scholars going back to ancient documents trying to use their brain to determine who actually wrote these words. Thousands of years removed. I always thought that was kind of fun. But see, I'm gonna, I'm gonna save you hours and hours of boring cemetery work. Are you ready for this? You can save yourself hours of cemetery time, or cemetery time, depending on how it is. Some people call it cemetery time. But you can save hours and hours of that by simply looking at this one question. What did Jesus think about the Old Testament? What did Jesus think about the Old Testament? Did he take the part and say, well, you know, exactly actually didn't write chapter 3, verses 4b, verse all the way through 16a? If did Jesus could do all that, did Jesus believe it was the Word of God or not? Well, guess what? When you go back and you look at the, the passage here in the text, he tells you, he says, not the smallest letter, not the least little stroke will disappear from the law, of the Old Testament, and I think he's using another catch-all term here, until everything is accomplished. Now, what are we talking about? Well, if you look on the left there, that's the smallest letter in the Hebrew Bible, it's called a yod. okay? Looks like an hand almost, or a, we say it in, in an English apostrophe, okay? That's the smallest letter of the 22 letters of the Hebrew the All right, you have to call it a tittle. What's a tittle? Think of the crossing of a T, right? If you take that T, if you take that little cross out of the T, it no longer becomes a T, right? Because the tittle's gone. I know it's a silly word, but if you look at a Hebrew word, like the letter bait, bite, there, you'll notice that little hook on the end? That's a tittle, okay? So, Jesus, what do you think about the inspiration of the Bible? Jesus is going to tell you what I think about the inspiration of the Bible. Not a single letter. Not even a decoration on the letter will fall and pass away until it's all accomplished. You know what that means? That means that even the smallest letter, even the very long letters, are inspired by the Lord. And they are words of God. Amen? Amen. Aren't you glad I saved you all that time? Then I have you all that subtle seminary classes to get all that? Okay. Now, don't miss what Jesus Himself is saying about the Hebrew Old Testament. He's saying that even the smallest pin strokes, are exactly how I want them included and written in the Bible. Why? Because it's the Word of God. It is the Word of God. He said it. He recorded it exactly the way that He wanted, and it will stand until that Word has accomplished every last thing that the Word has for to accomplish. Now, we know that Jesus did not write any of the Gospels. His followers did. Now, if you were given the task of writing everything that Jesus ever said and done, that we be a task to do. Well, thankfully, Jesus came the Gospels, prepared them ahead of time, and he told them in John chapter 14, verse 26, But the Advocate, talking about the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have spoken. In other words, after the time of Jesus, and it's going to be some years before they write down what we call the Gospels. He's telling them, just as I spoke in front the Father, just know that if that same Holy Spirit that you gave me, I'm going to give it to you. And when the time is right, when the time to put a pen to paper, I will give you what you need to remember. I will give you the words that you need to say. Okay? And that, of course, happened to end on the day of Pentecost. When the church started, when Peter hopped up. Preached his first sermon, best sermon I've ever heard still, right? Over 2,000 people or so were baptized that day. Again, this is what Jesus promised them. Look at John chapter 16, verse 13. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you exactly what is to come. What about the other authors of the New Testament? Later on. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote the church in Thessalonica, he read and said, I'm so thankful that you realize that these are not just my words. Here's what he said to that church. He said, we also thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. He says, I'm so grateful because you can see what God has see. You can hear what you're hear, hear. You know that what I'm writing to you is not just me pontificating and writing things, trying to sound big or whatever. He says, I'm so grateful because what you know, you understand, that what I'm writing to you are the very words of God himself. He says the same thing to the church Genesis. in Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 3 2 through 5, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this end, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament was primarily written by prophets. In the New Testament, the New Testament is primarily written by prophets and apostles. Think about what he's talking about here. The entire New Testament um, was written either by one of the two. Matthew, uh, John are apostles. They are like apostles, right? Then you have other writers like Luke or James or Jude. They're not apostles. Um, make sure I got that right again. They're not apostles, but they speak prophetically, right? Jude is mentioned as a brother of the Lord, half-brother of the Lord, but when he writes, when he writes, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, he's speaking prophetically. Does that make sense? Okay. All right, we can go on, but I'm going to stop here. What does all this tell you? Now listen, you don't have to believe any of this. Okay? You don't have to uh, buy into anything that I'm saying to you this morning, And, and that's okay, God. God gives you that right. You don't have to agree that the Bible is inspired. But here's the point that I'm trying to make in this whole sermon. This is what I was starting to say last Sunday, and this is what I'm really trying to say this Sunday. After looking at everything that we've looked at these last two Sundays, what you can't do is you cannot deny that the Bible itself claims authority from God you see that? Yes or no. It does. It? it claims to be the authority from heaven, the inspired word of God. It, it, it just does. I mean, almost every single page. And I just write to the surface. I mean, I could have made a series out of this whole sermon that I didn't but I'm not going to do that. boy you avoid the tears, right? But, but you see, example after example of Bible claiming to be that God breathed words of God to humanity. So we all agree that this book claims to be the word of God. Well, guess what? That means we've got some choices that we have to make. Because if you believe that this book is not from God, that the Bible will not have any meaning for you whatsoever. It won't matter, right? You won't read it. You certainly won't try to order your life around it. But if you believe the claims that this book is made that this is the Word of God, if you believe in the claims that this book is from Him, that that's going to change things. Number one, it's going to change how you look at this book. You know, in my house, we have a little rule you don't let the Bible on the Lord. You know where I got that from? As a light belt in karate, one of the rules is you never let your belt touch the floor. It is about honor. That's the Word of God. Now, I'm not saying you've got to do that, but just in my house, the Word of God does not touch the Lord. The floor is dirty. That's not the place for the Word of God to be. Let me tell you somewhere else the Word of God does not to be. On your shelf, like in dust. It's not a centerpiece on your coffee table. If it is the Word of God, if it was spoken by heaven itself, then that means we need to read it every single day. We need to take that book out and we need to read it and wear it out as much as we possibly can. So before we close, before we close, I want you to answer this question I have to yourself. Do I believe that the Bible is the Word of God? Do I believe that the Bible is authoritative for my life? If that's the case, then I want to suggest to you that there are three responses that you need to make this morning. If you believe, if the Bible is the Word of God, there are three responses that I'm going to encourage you to make this morning as a result. Number one, we need to study this book. More than any other book in the world, we need to read it, we need to study it. If you are a Christian, I'm going to say a very sharp statement here, but I mean it with love. If you are not reading your Bible, if you're just going to church on Sunday morning and you're just ignoring the Word of God throughout the rest of the week, then functionally speaking, you are treating the Word of God as if it is not inspired. Does that make sense? You're treating it as though it's on inspired. Many, many years ago, when I was dating my wife, when, when the rules of her household was that she could not Good old dates until she was 18. We wrote letters back and forth. Let me tell you something. I told you about the letters. I have every one of them still in the box in my, in my storage. When I was a, a teenager, when I was 16, 17 years old, I kid you not, I was out of that mailbox every day. Did it one time today? Did it, did it one time today? Hey, Grandma, you sure you checked the mail? Look in the back of the mailbox make sure it's not there. Why? Because I was so in love. With my wife to be, that I hung on every word. If we believe these are the words that the Holy Spirit gave to us, we need to hang on every word. They're for you, they're for your family. Get up in the morning and read them. Read them at lunchtime. Read them at night. Read them to, read them to your children. children. Talk about them throughout the day. That's what God told the people in the Old Testament. Response number two. We must allow this book to guide our thinking and our beliefs about everything. What do you think about the church? What do you think about the workplace? What do you think about our government? What do you think about marriage or the state of marriage today? What do you think about morality or or, you know one of the one of the reasons why we're seeing, I believe, such a dramatic shift away from preachers and Christians having a biblical worldview is because so many pastors and Christians have left a worldview believing that the Bible doesn't want to take their life? It's a great moral book that I can lead from, and I can live from, and I can, and I can apply it to my day. But it's not the Lord's data, not word for word, not every job, every tittle. The truth is, if we believe the Bible is inspired, the Bible will be the one thing that will guide our belief system and direct what we believe about everything, because we believe to be the Lord God. And by this morning, response to number three if you believe that the Bible is the Word of God and you will obey His teachings. You will see the Bible as your guide for life. The Bible in the Old Testament talks about the Word of God being a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. It is what shows us the way. Yes, there are going to be times when I read the Bible that I'm going to struggle with it. There are going to be times when you read the Bible you're going to read things that that make sense to you. Why did God do that? Why did God say that? Why did God handle things in that way? And then there's going to be times in your life where you're reading the Bible, and it's going to come up against something you think or you believe. There, it's going to rub up against some life decisions and things that you like to do. That, that the Bible is challenging you, on, want to say, you know what? You don't need to do that anymore. And if you believe that the Bible is inspired, that's when you say, Lord, you're inspired. I'm not. I repent, and I choose to bring my life into alignment with the word of god as we close i want to know this your life and how you live right now is a reflection of what you believe about the authority of the lord god did you know that let me say it again in case i was misunderstood how you live your life right now the decisions you make the kind of person you are to your life your family everyone else has everything to do with how you use the authority and the inspiration of the Word of God. If you don't believe it has that much authority and inspiration, it's not going to be that much of an impact in your life. But if you believe that these are the very words of God, then you are checking every life situation, every relationship, every conversation against the front line of God's truth. Amen? Amen. All right, we're going to stop here. If you respond to the invitations or anything this morning, we want to make the time available. Uh, elders, uh, elders' wives, if you are not seeing, deacons, deacons wives, if you're not seeing, please go ahead and come around and stand around the edge of the room and uh, receive your prayer. Okay? That's stand. you